Welcome to another episode of Chomping After Dark, the podcast where we spoil your favorite games and the occasional movie. We are reaching far back and getting in touch with our teenaged angst. We have put on our jorts and our black sweatbands. Today, we are going to be talking about Final Fantasy VIII. But before we launch into the intros... I just want to make a few quick announcements. If this is your first time here and you're loving the show, please subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want more from us, head over to SwordChomp.com where we have more podcasts, reviews of the newest titles, a merch store, and plenty more. Lastly, if you want to support us so we can continue to make awesome content in our jorts, please swing over to patreon.com slash swordchomp where you will find a plethora of tiers to get additional and exclusive content. It would mean the world to us. Okay, let's introduce you to the crew that will be joining me today. First, we have the Shumi of the crew, one who is always anxious and distracted by making wooden phalluses for his tribe, Mr. Morgan Barnes. Hi. Um, I don't know what shumi means, um, but I definitely know what phallus means. So, yes, um, 50 for, uh, 50-50 to start the show off. Feeling good. Uh, Shay, happy to be here. Final Fantasy VIII was my favorite game of my adolescence. You should probably know um, what a shumi is then. Oh, of course. Yeah, those big weird alien people. That's right, the shumi tribe. Yeah, I remember them. Okay, I do remember them. Yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah. Not bad. It's a, it feels like a ha- it feels like a faint hazy dream of the Shumi tribe, but I do I do remember them quite well. And honestly, I'm excited to talk about this game. It was my like I said, it was my favorite game of my childhood. So, and and playing the remaster was an interesting experience as an adult. So this should be fun. Yeah, it's going to be enjoyable. I'm really excited to kind of pick your brain apart with this game in particular. Next, don't pick my brain apart. You can pick my brain, but not apart. I'm picking it all the way apart. We need to reconstruct you, my friend. All right. Next, we have the Norg of the crew sitting in the basement, pretending that he pulls the strings, but in reality, just like the smell of oil and decades-old hair gel, we have Mr. Rich Meister. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Chicken Wuss. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, hold up. First you get to be Norg, and then you, you quote my favorite character. This is this is bullshit. <laughs> Hold on now. He, you love him because of how many dogs he kicks? Because he kicks the most dogs in the game? Okay, mm. terrible dialogue, but he looks real cool. He's just like a ginger with a sword. When I was 16, he looked cool. Okay, don't judge me. Okay, well. I'm here to judge you exclusively. <laughs> it was the big cross. It was the big cross. I was a sucker for affliction when I was 17, too. So. You know what? That, that'll do it, I guess. I mean, you're not digging yourself out of the hole, but... That's what she said. Well, glad to have you here, Rich. Uh, we are also joined by the master fisherman of Fisherman's Horizon, 
As I imagine this man, after having created a city in his vision, living in peace with the occasional edgy kid coming to bother his solitude, Mr. Josh Fowler. Fucking kids. Fucking kids. Amen to that. Indeed. Okay. Oh, me. Indeed. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I mean, to be fair, you two are the ones here who can adequately, adequately talk about kids. More of a Moomba guy. It's true. I just, I'm yeah. sorry. I feel like I've been interrupting everyone's intro, and I apologize. Um, I'm hijacking the show. Like, Nothing new. Like Seifer hijacked uh, the sorceress in uh, Timber. So, but be. There you go. Just gonna let him have it. Well, if I you guys didn't know, Morgan Barnes is here today, and <laughs> um, at last bada bing, bada I am Shay Layton. Mm-hmm. And at last, I am your host, Shay Layton. And uh, from this point on, there will be spoilers. If you haven't played or finished this game, but you want to, come back when you're ready to listen. But now, turn the lights down low. Getting to something comfortable. And let's tear into it. Final Fantasy VIII is set in a world where technology and magic are used in tandem. Both are used to help serve people as well as protect themselves from monsters that roam the landscape. The story follows Squall, an introspective and standoffish teenage boy. As his team... As they attempt to save the world from powerful sorceresses and a rival garden manipulated into a conflict bigger than they are aware of. The game starts off with a player seeing Squall and Seifer, Squall's rival, dueling. Squall loses and is embarrassed. Simultaneously, the city of Dalit is invaded by the Galbadian army, causing Dalit to hire seed from Balam Garden the place where Squall and others are training. Balam Garden uses the mission as a final exam to test cadets looking to be promoted to fully-fledged members of Seed. Zell, a high-energy and fist-fighting classmate, and Squall, joined by Seifer, are tasked with attempting to remove Galbadia from, Do- from Dalit. Seifer goes off on his own, not wanting to work with anyone. Another classmate, Selfie, a chipper teenage girl, replaces Seifer mid-mission. After a fight with a massive robot and a narrow escape, Seed is victorious in driving out Galbadian soldiers. Squall, Zell, and Selfie are appointed as fully-fledged Seed members, while Seifer is reprimanded for his actions. Okay. So let's start with an easy question to get the conversation going, get the conversation flowing. Back when demo discs were a thing on the PS1, this game was actually packaged onto a Pizza Hut demo disc, allowing you to play up to the point to where you escape the Galbadian robot. Do any of you guys remember playing that demo and your first impressions of the game? And I'm going to go ahead and throw it to you first, Rich. I absolutely played the shit out of this demo. Um, I did not get it on a Pizza Hut situation. I'm actually struggling to remember what game it was. Um, there was another ga- uh, Square game it was packaged with. Uh, a game I specifically bought for the Final Fantasy VIII demo. 
Hmm. Uh, okay. Hmm. And I, I played it enough to remember that it features a slightly uh, altered version of the Dalit invasion. Yeah. What game? What game was that? Now I'm curious. I'm trying to uh, find that out mission? as we speak. It. I'll Google it. For it you. might have been. Yeah. I'm trying to um, think. That was well. While they're googling it, Rich, what was your initial impressions? I knew I was going to like this game. There was something about like the atmosphere, um, and I guess a lot of the setup, and this may go on to flavor a lot of my taste in like Persona and series like that. I always really liked this setting of Final Fantasy VIII, like juxtaposed against this military academy. Um, it gave you like this easy out for like why these characters are this way and why they're doing what they're doing. And that Dalit mission was just like a good... It's very early on in the game, but it feels like it could be taken from anywhere in a game of, of this type. Um, I don't like that Dalit mission. I, I'll always enjoy playing that like the multiple times I've replayed this game because it is just a part of the game because of that demo that is seared into my memory. Yeah, it was a mm-hmm. very, very good first mission to introduce the player to the game. And the game you were thinking of, by the way, is Brave Fencer Musashi. Yes, Brave Fencer. Okay. I liked that game when I was a kid, too. I like that game also, but I specifically bought it to get the demo. It was not, yeah, it was like, man, that was a magical time where like a 7 out of 10 felt still magical. Yeah. That's good. Like Godfall. Yeah, no, that's right. No, you said, you mean 4? God damn it, you turned that around on me. What were you going to say, I was 100% on board with you because, yes, most good games are 7 out of 10s. And then you fucking put Godfall in there. God damn you. (laughs) Making me agree to some shit that I don't remotely want to put my name to. Still yeah, excited to but, play with you. But yes, Brave Fence or Mushashi? Yes. Not Mushashi. Mus- that falls a Musashi. 6 out of 10. But, um, <laughs> did I say Mushashi? Josh, uh, what, did you play the demo, and what, did you, what were your first impressions of the game? I did not play that Pizza Hut... Or Brave Fencer demo. I'm trying to remember if it was on anything else. I think I only saw the trailers for it on some of their other demo discs. Um, yeah, because I met you later and you got in your PlayStation 1 era late in life, right? I did not have money for both a N64 and a PS1 at the same time. And so I bought a PS1 after the fact and played a fucking ton of PS1 games because they were dirt cheap at GameStop back in the day on uh, essentially in the PS2 era you could you could walk out of a GameStop with 45 PS1 games for all of $18 this um, was before GameStop realized they should probably hold on to some of this stuff yeah yeah but like I played so many games after the fact and this was one of the ones that I played much much later um hmm. most of my initial sense, I suppose. PS1 gaming was like at friends' houses and so much more party game and or sports slash competitive gaming type stuff. Like I played a ton of Cool Borders when it was new. Um, yeah, cool I did Borders not do a, an awful lot of single player JRPGs when they were new. This is kind of something I came back to a little while after the fact. When if you I, were me, you were playing this and Sakodin too at the same time. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a lot of JRPG. So, what what were your initial impressions of the game, Josh? 
I think initially it does a really good job of maybe not the characters themselves, but getting you invested in the world the characters are a part of. It's it's kind of a weird distinction. Like it's not the world itself, but it's like the small part of the world that each character inhabits. I feel like they do a great job of making you understand why someone cares about this little piece of a world. Um like I right off the bat from that game, I care about the seeds and about the garden and about their little interpersonal drama, even though the world is supposedly at war. Like I could almost play a game that's just set in one of the gardens, given like the initial impressions I had of this game. Yeah. Yeah. I, that beginning of the game is definitely one of my favorite parts of the entire game. So by I think by having that on the demo it was such a smart choice. I feel. Morgan, what did you play the demo? What where did you play the demo? If you played the demo and what were your initial thoughts of the game? So it's kind of a cool story. I did not play the demo. Um I had at the time I was pretty anti JRPG. I'm sorry, Rich. Um This was like I, last year. I was one of those kids that <laughs> This is 27 minutes ago. At the time, I was one of those kids where I was like, this is dumb. You have to wait for other people to attack. What are these weird games? I, I would, like, try demos of other... I tried Final Fantasy VII and all this stuff. I'm like, I don't get why people would want to play these games. It just seemed really stupid to me. Um, but I was also pretty young. And uh, and then, but one of my friends came over at the time. I remember this day. His name was Zach. He actually ended up getting me arrested at one point later on in my life, unfortunately. Um for stealing a Limp Biscuit CD nonetheless. But anyways, he, uh, <laughs> no comment. He, he, his neighbor had let him borrow. His neighbor was a gun military and had enough money to buy games. And he was neighbor would be outside smoking and stuff. And he was like, yeah, I bought this game. I don't have time to play it right now. You want, you want to check it out? Zach brought it over. And I was just like that opening cinema, uh, happened in the game where it was just like the most prettiest, most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, Vivos, and the waves, and then this big dramatic sword fight with guns that are swords that are guns. And I just remember, like, I just still remember to this day, just like feeling it wash over me and being like, What is I don't care if these people, I don't care if the enemies attack you seven times before you get to attack them. I need to play this game, whatever this is. If so, it was literally like love at first sight. I can't remember the last time a game did that to me, other than maybe Donkey Kong Country, where I was so like overwhelmed by it. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was special. It was magical. And uh, from that day forth, I made an oath to myself I was going to mow lawns until I could afford it and buy it and play it. That's fair, man. Yeah, I, I got to give credit to 7 and 8. They both had amazing intros into their games. And 8 was just as epic as 7. That was such a, a great FMV to start the game. And just the way the mm-hmm. game starts out and opens up and everything, it's awesome. Um, I don't really have much more to add than what you guys have already said. I really, really loved what they had on the demo from the very beginning of the game up until that Dalit mission. Because I, I can't even imagine getting that much content in a demo nowadays. Because I think that was... 
if I was thinking about it, it'd probably be a good, like, depending on how much time you spend doing stuff in the demo, it could be up to upwards to like first 10 hours of the game. Like if you get lost in triple triad, um, you have to do some other stuff in the game. If you get lost in the draw system, you could spend a lot of time in that demo. And I think that's, I think that speaks to the era we were in. Yeah, I would say even as a kid, and this and this is no disrespect to Seven at all, but like I remember even seeing the opening cutscene of Seven and being like, "Oh, these characters look kind of blocky and weird." But like Eight, technically, because they made the people finally look like people, uh, as superficial as that sounds. Yeah, Squall was the best looking guy there. Um, it's true. No, I'm just talking about like the general shape of them. You know what I mean? Like there was no paintbrush hands or anything. and again, I was young at the time, so I was being very superficial. Um. That's changed so much now. Yes, it has, of course. Um, now I'm actually in a paintbrush hands. It's weird. It's one of my fetishes. Um, but yeah, so anyways, I just remember thinking like, oh my God, like the Steven 7 didn't wow me at the time the way that, for whatever reason, um, 8 did. I think that they just made, because 7 was such a success, they had so much money and they had improved their artistry. And I think they were really, from a technical perspective, not comparing the two games based off people's memories or the quality of the game overall. Just technically... I think that what they were able to do with eight was like insane. That was a big part of what lured me in as someone who was very, very like skeptical JRPG skeptic. Yeah. At the time it was such a big leap in terms of graphics. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I would even say art direction was a, a, a big leap, I think. And that was just due to the limitations of what they had when final fantasy seven came out. Not that it was lacking in art direction. It just, they hadn't worked the with graphic, the, the, the graphical capabilities really helped bring out the art direction in eight so much more so than seven. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, I feel like kind of the difference between eight feels an awful lot like six as far as they finally understand how to make this system work to do what they want it to. Um, like, four and five are very much straightforward jrpgs and then you get six and it's kind of like doing these insane things that the super nintendo was not known for um pushing the super nintendo yeah and i kind of feel like there's an awful lot of that in eight as far as like they did really cool things as far as like seamlessly integrating cutscenes into the gameplay and having you like walk through a scene that's playing in the background like really cool stuff oh that shit was crazy Um, like stuff that people didn't get like the the set pieces in eight were insane and stuff that was not really rivaled until a generation later i don't think people understand that josh there's a part in that game where there's literally an fmv film going on and you are walking around in control while it's happening Mm and shit was nuts yeah yeah, it looks cheap. It looks cheap now, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like back then, yeah, that was insane. They, they they were doing a to lot. My knowledge, yeah, like it was beyond before. cutting edge. It was like, what the fuck is even happening here? Like it, yeah, truly state of the art. Um, yeah. So imagine like to to Jesus succinctly wrap wept. To, to essentially wrap that up. Imagine a game being that bold and revolutionary at the time in terms of what gaming could do and then getting the first five to 10 hours of that for free on a demo disc or as yeah, a that's free demo yeah. package with another game. And that's, was the that's opening cutscene on the demo too and everything. Yeah. Yes, it is. Oh my God. That's crazy. 
and then yeah, and it shows you that, that demo, and then like, it just it cuts to the landing mission like immediately mm-hmm. after that, which is kind of like a really self-contained vertical slice of the level or, or of a, the game. It's a great pick, yeah. Um, but also is <laughs> is showing the same sort of like hey, we can have an FMV playing in the background as you're running away and doing stuff. Like, it, it was really showing up what you could do with the tech at the time. Um, it was Like, that, that really spider chasing demo. you towards uh, the yeah. end, like, when you're straight up running through and the spider's coming through and crushing cars and stuff, like, that was beyond revolutionary looking at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think people get that. But, and this is why, this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll shut up on this whole thing, is that... Um, Think about a lot of the big games, like a a lot of the reasons why sequels are so impressive, at least technically often, is because you have, like, Seven was such a massive success, right? It's arguably one of the most influential games ever made. So you have that, you have all the money they made, all this, I don't want to say ego, but all this sort of praise and all this stuff they from creating this game that has transcended the genre how do you follow that up? And that ended up being Final Fantasy VIII well, for better or worse to people. And I think that's interesting to see what they made. The answer was, now we know how to make a 3D Final Fantasy. Now we can try something weird with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and push the boundaries and all that kind of stuff. So it's just crazy to think of it. Like, that was the game when the whole the whole world was looking to them. What are they going to make after making the most influential JRPG ever made? That was the game we got. So mm-hmm. just yeah. worth thinking. Yeah, it's interesting. I one thing I wanted to note here, um, as I was reading some of like about the demo and whatnot, there were a lot of changes that I actually I didn't even know about um from the demo to the actual game. One of them being I think this one's really fascinating, is that the demo on the place or on the Pizza Hut PlayStation One disc was actually rated M. But then, obviously, when the fi- final full product came out, it was T. Random trivia. Weird. I, yeah, I never that knew that. And, like, there, there's other things, too, like different outfits that the characters are wearing. I didn't remember this. Renoa is actually there instead of uh, Zell at certain points. Like, you're rolling around a team of Renoa, Selfie, and Squall. I didn't remember that. So there's some there's some difference, and there's really? some dialogue differences and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think I it would have been easy that. enough to just stick whoever in the party at that point in the game, because, yeah. like, the map character is static through the game, and they can just kind of stick whoever in the party. So as far as that goes, I, I think that's one of the easier things to change as far as, like, Should have made it entirely how the game works. There. It's Renoa yeah. and Irvine. Yeah, and yeah. you could take some of the, the animation and just... Pl- like copy paste it into a different area yeah so and, yeah, yeah. and one, of the, one of the things you were asking us Shay, about our impressions of the first chunk of the game i would say that as for someone some of these things ended up sort of being problematic down the road if you go back and play it maybe for some people but at the time being a casual player the um the boost of the gfs like sl- slamming the square button over and over or whatever to boost them up was a lot of fun for me um, a lot of the draw system, even though you could break it for someone who had never played RPGs, summoning GFs over and over again was like very spectacle laid in for me. And like it did a lot of things that even though they maybe didn't age well at the time as for someone who was new to the genre, I was just like, whoa, every time I use a summon, this huge animation plays and you can't skip it. Isn't this great? 
Well, that so, was yeah. I mean, yeah, we I, had already played enough seven you know, as a, as to as not want to watch as... Knights of the Round ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I Ugh. I appreciated Takes that when I was younger. Takes you forty five minutes to get through that cutscene every time. Yeah, in but, combat. But, uh, that... But Shay, not yeah. to interrupt you, but I want you to hear what you're going to say because I think you're about to say what I hope you're going to say. But did we all? <laughs> so let him say it. Did we all kind of feel at the time that it wasn't that big of a deal watching those over and over again? Well, literally, what I was going to say was um, that <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mad at you. I'm like I just got interrupted by all three of you guys at the same time. No, um, hang, hang, no, hang, I, hang, hang on. But before <laughs> we fuck off, no, I'm fuck just, off. I'm just... <laughs> before before when I was younger. I didn't mind like watching those over and over again. I was happy to do it because I had nothing better to do. But one thing I actually like about the remaster, um, which we will be talking about kind of interchangeably here and there, because there are not any major differences other than looks to some degree, Just is that they introduced a three times fast forward button. And I pretty Mm. much when I played the remaster to finally beat the game, I played the game almost entirely in fast forward. And uh, it made the game in 2020 slash 2021 much more palatable for me. Like the parts where yeah. you yeah. are doing battle and the, I, they, it would take much longer normally. I was able to just fast forward through all of that stuff and it made it much, much more entertaining for me. Yeah. Summons being one of those things. Or GF. Speaking, speaking of summons, one thing that I liked God at the force. time, but also like in retrospect, like yeah they just needed to kill it like it was a step forward but also like missing the point um going from seven to eight in eight you can like level up all your gfs and whenever you summon them you'll be able to boost them which gives you a little mini game to play while the eight and a half minute cutscene plays while summoning these goddamn things yeah that's um which is cool because it gives you something to do yeah. While this happens, so you're not bored while it plays out every single time. By which Ifrit slammed that fireball for the 30th time today. Yeah, but but A, it was required because those, the boost would like, it was a massive increase. It wasn't like just a minor change in like the amount of damage. It was like four to five times as much damage if you boosted properly through those things. Um. Which, yeah. like I was saying, gave you something That's to do true. while those ridiculous cutscenes played out. But was kind of missing the point that maybe while you're in a combat scene, you shouldn't have a cutscene that long play to summon something. Um, well, which they eventually and, they figured yes, that out. They but figured like, it out. It was yeah. it was solving a problem but, that the actual solution was to just not have it be a problem. Well, they figured it out, but did they figure it out? Because they figured it out in 10 when summons worked completely differently. Yeah. 9 did the same fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But, but there was... There, there's t- the the difference was in 9, there's only two characters that can use summons, so it came up less often. Yeah. It'll sound and like I never pop- fucking used summons because of that reason. It was not a thing that you just mm-hmm. used all the time because it was the only overpowered option. Yeah. Like it's yeah, just w- just don't use it. Like it's it's an option to not use it. Don't use it. And so I never did in nine. Um, I, I'm gonna sound like an apologist a little bit, but there are things they worked into. Like the boost is a good example. But I remember as a kid going down that list in the GF menu and just being like, oh, there's all these cool things I can equip, and it was really cool. But yeah, I 
I don't know. Wouldn't it have been kind of weird if you could have just skipped them at some point? It just would have been strange. Like, you would have picked the summon and then just pressed start to skip it. I, it just felt weird. Well, weird. I, I think that's yeah. the point. Like, it's yeah. it's not interesting. It wastes a ton of time. But, like, DPS-wise, because the enemies are not acting during all that time, it is the premier choice. Like, this is this is the only real option. Is to use GFs over and over again because it does it's the more easy damage. Button. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's why I said, like in the remaster, having it being able to be fast forward through, I think was the best solution there, especially in a remaster, is because yeah, yeah not watching the the little cutscene of what it's going to do would be weird to just like suddenly skip, and th- to be able to have context to what it was like you need to use the gfs the best solution there is to just fast forward through that but um, i'm curious how that works i've not played the remaster yet does it like automatically Mm -hmm. boost them for you or do you still no 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 no. you still have the option to boost you still have the option to boost if you want well then that almost kind of ruins it because to do that stupid mini game you can toggle it on and off at any point in the battle that you want at any point in time Again, that's the point. What he's saying is you can't to play that mini game. You're gonna need to not skip through it. So you're gonna be, oddly enough, you're gonna end up seeing those cutscenes more than anything else because you can't boost through them. You can't, or not you can't boost through. You can't fast forward through them to get the damage bonus. Because you've got to play the mini game correctly. Well, the correct way to play it is to jump in ultimate or physical attack. Well, what I'm going to say is since I just having played the game and beaten the game that I didn't feel the need to boost the GFs at all. And I made it through the game just fine. Like I, I to say that you need to, I think is a little bit um, hyperbolic, but it's, it's, it's a part of the game thing. Again, part of this is probably playing the game at a slightly older age, but like I was min maxing everything just because that's how I, OCD played games at the time and early on that is the strongest thing you can do by a mile um, is to oh, do GFs sure. and then boost them later on like Rich is saying you you boost you, you junction Ultima to your main attack and then you do max damage off a normal attack every time and you never go back to those goddamn cutscenes again because it just makes the gameplay I so mean, much better that- um I mean, yeah, that's that's the way you play it, and that's fine. I mean, not everyone's going to play it that way, though. And th- they're not. To say but like, that... that's yeah. There were yeah. There was just there was wonky tuning as far as how these things ended up feeling overall. It was definitely was an he... imperfect system, but it was interesting at the time, and it was mm-hmm. fun at I... the time. Um, mm-hmm. as long as you understood it to a certain degree. I, I agree with we, like Morgan, you, say what I, you want to say, and then we got to move on. Like, we've been talking about just um, the very intro for the past 30 minutes. So, know, we're just last excited. thing. <laughs> we're excited. We got a lot of talk. To you. Um, yeah, I would say that what Shay was saying about not really needing to use the boost, I also noticed. Um, and I think that what you're saying, Josh, is it's... I agree with what you're saying in principle, but I think it's the opposite. It's sort of like the the lack of tuning in some places is what made it fun because I boosted forever as a child. And then as an adult, I realized I didn't really need to, but I could have if I wanted to. And there's a lot of weird idiosyncrasies with that game that I think make made it fun as a kid. 
uh, and make it fun trying to break it, but also and make it easier, but you don't really need to engage in. And that's what I'll just say. Okay. That's fine. Well, we'll leave it there. Let's move on with the story. Because <laughs> we have a lot to get to. Good luck. That night, a graduation party is held. Squall attends, and he meets Renoa. He finds her irritating, as her personality is the polar opposite of his. The next day, Sid assigns Squall, Zell, and Selfie to help the timber resistance fight against Galbadia, who has occupied timber. The leader of the resistance happens to be Renoa. Through their assistance efforts, the party learns that Sorceress Adia is behind the recent Galbadia aggressions. The orders come from Balam to the crew, along with Renoa, Quistus, no longer Squall's instructor, and Irving, a sharpshooter, they are to assassinate Adia. They go to Delling City, where Adia will be holding a parade in her honor. The party, along with General Carraway, who resides in Delling City, devise a plan for Irving to snipe her from atop her float. Multiple plot... That's, those are words. Multiple problems arise, but the party manages to get through. As Irving is about to take the shot, he panics. He's never shot anyone before, and he's scared. Squall talks him into taking the shot as a signal to the other party members, and of course, Irving misses his target. Squall runs down to the float to confront the sorceress. He is met by Seifer, who has left Balam Garden to become Adia's right-hand man. Squall makes quick work of Seifer, but Adia joins him to fight Squall. Squall is also joined by two party members. The party almost defeats Adia and Seifer, but Adia manages to stab Squall in the shoulder with an ice shard, sending the party into disarray and Adia captures them all. So one thing I wanted to do during this podcast is to figure out a way to talk about both the original and the remaster together. I think this is the perfect time to mention them. I am thankful that I was able to play the original because there was something extra powerful about the game being put on hold as disc one ended forcing the player to put in the second disc. This actually gave me time to contemplate everything that just happened, allowing me to reflect, to catch my breath, and to put in disc two when I was ready. In general, did you guys like the remaster? And Josh, I know you didn't play this, so it's going to be a little bit difficult for you to answer this question. And specifically, did you enjoy the disc changing or do you prefer the streamlined one disc and get into it method? And um, let me make sure. Morgan, um, I'm going to throw it to you first. Which, um, what, did, what did you think about the whole process of having to change discs out? And is there a preference between the two? Yeah, it was cool at the time. I mean, well, I mean, I guess it was just one of those things that you were used to. It was just sort of a signaling of, like, this grand thing. Like, oh, this thing is so grand, it needs several discs, which I think is cool. And, and like you said, that 
I know these are tough because you go through a, a lot of material and then we all have to try to respond to it in a concise manner. And, and, but like, yeah, that whole sequence at the end of, of disc one was as a kid, I thought was super epic. Um, just like a dream come true. I definitely think as adult, as an adult, I was just left with a lot of basic questions. Like why is this, why do they refer to this lady as the sorceress and stuff like that? Like there's just a lot of weird common sense things. are like, huh? Why? This is just okay. Um, but yeah, even though I'm glossing over some of the finer details here, there, like Morgan is saying, there are a lot of questions that are left open at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I just I wasn't uh, wanted to be able to respond to a lot of that stuff, and it's a, it's a lot. But yeah, that that end of that first disc is incredibly cinematic, and uh, just technically mind blowing. All really like the rest of the game, but just as an adult, I remember just being like, as a kid, I just accepted it. Oh, this is the sorceress. But you know, there's a lot of questions about the world building and the setup and stuff that I was kind of puzzled about as an adult. Like, why didn't they establish this better? Like, I think they could have. I, I think that what's there is interesting. I just think they don't do a very good job of laying the groundwork for it. And that was kind of frustrating as an adult. Interesting. Hmm. I like, I, I guess I'll just go now and then I'll throw it to the other guys. I feel a little, I feel a lot differently. I felt like the first disc was probably the strongest part of the game for me. Like, comparatively up to where we're at now i definitely felt like was the strongest part of the entire game and i felt like a lot of the groundwork real like this is where everything was like the pacing was well done here up until this point and the story was the most intriguing at this point because it wasn't getting muddled down and foggy as we'll get to a little bit later <laughs> i thought it was they were they were starting to open up things up to this point very well for me um so i I understand that's the difference between you and me here morgan but um obviously like i said i like the disc changing because it allowed me time to think and it's not bad like in this day and age to change discs would be kind of funny as it's we're almost completely digital at this point but um and i guess it's like old man reflecting on an era of what used to be but it was it's to to describe it to a younger audience, I don't know how many younger audiences members we have here who listen to us, but it was very, very interesting to have to actually change out that disc. And it, we, 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 we were gaming in an era where the more discs you had, like the, be, the, the cooler it was going to be like, you were bragging. You'd go to school one day and be like, Holy shit, this game's got four discs. Holy fuck. That means it's extra. Mm-hmm. You know, like we would like legitimately talk about that yeah, when we were in school. Like number, that was it. And we like, that was such a big thing back in the day. For discs. And I, you know, yeah. I was reflecting on this and it, it wasn't something I hadn't really thought about until I wrote that question that I really enjoyed being able to just sit for a few minutes and think about what just happened and trying to guess what's going to happen next. Like Morgan said, there are a lot of questions unanswered when a disc would end in this game and you want to know what's going to happen next, but you also kind of want to take the time to take in what you just experienced while also thinking what's going to happen next. You, you like that anticipation. It's like when you end a chapter in a book kind of. Oh, You're not just more, reading yeah, like yeah. one streamline. Well, not always. Sometimes, um, a chapter in a book, like it's a good place to end. You have to turn the page to get to the next chapter, and it's, it's like mm-hmm. it's like this mental resetting. Like, all right, we're gonna get into the next bit of the well, story. It's, so. it's not just that; it is a invitation to put the game down. 
Um, exactly. Like an, an offboarding point is something that a lot of games have kind of had to rediscover recently is, is the idea of, okay, this is where you have a chance to put the game down. Like this your is play session act, is done. Come back tomorrow. Um, um, it, it, for the longest time, games were like, how do we keep people playing forever? And I don't feel like that's the noble goal people assumed it was for a, for a long time. And we're we're finally starting to get back to this point of, hey, we're done now. You can come back and pick up the story in a little bit. Um, games kind of had act breaks, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the end of disc one is one of the best act breaks act breaks in gaming history yeah i i agree 100 percent. um like it just it feels complete in a way that you've uh, you've accomplished all your objectives sans the one you're actually supposed to be there like the main one you failed spectacularly but you want to see what happens because you're, of that uh, like what the fuck is going to happen next <laughs> yeah like it is the transition from disc one to two in Final Fantasy VIII is just a standout example of like a, a transitional moment in a game. Like, okay, like we're done here. You can put it down. You can stop. You can think about it for a while. You can jump right back into it if you want. But that's that's something that I almost feel like is is missed in a remaster of of something like this. Like. I feel like they should almost prompt you. Like, do you really want to go on? Maybe, maybe you should come back tomorrow when you get I to this point. I think it does ask you if you want to save. Well, yeah, yeah. Like the, the, save, the, the save point was like a, a hard-coded thing. Like, do you want to save here? Because yeah, no, it was, was still an iffy prospect. Though. It was still dodgy switching discs on a PS1 at that point. Well, no, no. What um, I mean is I think in the remaster it's still Well, no, no. no that. That's what that, I'm saying. So, like, it, it's hard-coded into the game. So, even in the remasters yeah. that... Do you want to save going forward yeah. is there so you can save and then stop, but mm -hmm. it's not like presented to you, to you as such. Um, whereas it was, it was pretty obvious that you could save and then just turn the thing off. If and you, then you get if the you wanted to end of end of disc one. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. No. And I, I will say that I do miss that. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll be, I was going to say, I actually agree with Shay and what you guys are saying. I, I agree with you how good the first disc is, especially as a kid. It wasn't, like, some sort of grand problem I had with it, and the ending is amazing. I mean, like, you're changing the disc as you're thinking about how Squall just got impaled, and you're like, what the fuck? And you're quietly changing your disc at 2 in the morning, like, wondering what the fuck is going to happen in your life. <laughs> but, like, I'm just talking about, like, as an adult, like, a lot of the little logical things about the world and characters and the way they were acting were, were bugging me. Um, well, not, the, like, the overall flow of the... That's maybe the, the thing I kind of agree with less, because I, I think I would more mirror what Shay said earlier, that, like a lot of where the narrative points start to lose me is after this. Well, it gets worse. Yeah, I, I don't like any of it. But it's it was we talked about it at length on the podcast, so people should go listen to that because we had a good discussion. I wish I could find that episode. Maybe I will before this is over. It's been so long since I played it, I want to bring up better examples on the fly. And but, um, but we did break into it, I think, pretty well when we talked about it. I, I still want to say I like to subscribe because I think it makes for a better story to the, the fan theory that everything past disc one is a dream as Squall dies. Yeah, I wish, <laughs> but they confirm that's not real. But yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Don't get too far into that. 
don't get too far into the conspiracy theory shit. But um, yeah, Rich, do you have anything you want to add? Um, that you haven't already. I think, I think we covered it for the most part. I mean, I that parade sequence is another another section from this game that I think is one of the most memorable parts of it. Um, like the staging of Squall and Irving, or Irving climbing the tower and him mm-hmm. sort of choking on the shot and like sneaking around through the parade and stuff that that is all the spectacle is amazing it's yeah. yeah it's all it's set it's set pieces and it's yeah memorable set pieces i did get lost in the sewers for a couple hours and that kind of ruined my boner but <laughs> still had fun the zell and the rest of the scooby gang are getting lost under the gate <laughs> yeah like i want to yeah. go back to the fun stuff fuck these guys it was it was a little, I I will admit the sewer part was a little bit too samey to Final Fantasy VII. I, I was like, out of all the things that you could take away from the 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 game that you just came from, why would you take away another sewer scene? But I mean, that's such a minor thing. But yeah, and they're locked in the shadows. room, and it's just so dumb. They're like locked in this room, but then they find like a secret way out of it. It's like all rich people have secrets. Yeah, yeah. No, if you're if you're locked in a rich person's house, there is a secret. You just need to find the secret passage. Yeah. My bad. It was the clue legitimately. House. Legitimately, I, I have a very quick anecdotal story that has nothing to do with this game at all. But I remember I was hanging out with um, my friend shortly before I moved to Japan. Uh, she was living with her really good friend and her friend's boyfriend at the time, and this guy was pretty cool. He had a pretty not like a big house, but he had a decent sized house. And I remember he's like, dude, I got to show you something. And so we go into his room and then I ended up naked on his couch. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and then, um, <laughs> and that's right, next to, I met. <laughs> right next to his TV, he has like, it, it looks like a wall essentially, or like this little cubby for his TV. And like, it looks like a bookshelf put into the wall. He's like, check this out. And he, he pushes something and this fucking cubby opens. And he had this like little man room back there where he had like mm. like he had like books and movies and shit and he had like a video game system set up yeah. in there it was, he had literally a little cubby man cave just tucked away mm-hmm. and i would have never known had he not pointed that out like even architecturally like you go stand on the outside and look on the inside i wouldn't have been able to tell it was such a cool little yeah, thing no, that i had yeah. never They're, seen before they are acutely aware of the fact that eventually People realize that rich people are just ridiculously more well off than they should be compared to the rest of us, and will be killed at one point. So yeah, no, so they they, they literally all rooms. have secret ways out of their houses for when the mob comes. Well, I guess my larger with like a little change of clothes to something that comes from Old Navy on their way out, so they can blend into the crowd as they escape. That's why you block oh, yeah. all. You get teams to be staged in the sewer systems around the house. Mm-hmm. When they try and escape through the sewer system, you can cut them off there. Exactly. That's, that's what I mean. Though, is like it's not a huge. It's silly. It's just more like, oh, I'm gonna lock. I'm gonna lock her. I'm gonna lock these people in here. But of course, I'm gonna lock them in a room that has a secret exit. And they're just in there, like, I wonder if this room has a secret exit. Listen, it's just if, if that's like, the part of this game that is hard for you to believe, fucking strap in. I mean, you're, you're you're collecting GFs and magic, and you have a gun blade. But if that's the hang up there, then I don't know what to tell you. Well, Let but, me tell you about a guy named Nord. Yeah. Come on, if I'm just gonna throw everything out of the window, then what am I even doing here? I mean, you'd literally already made 
what half of the Hindu pantheon your slave at that point in the game. Yeah. So <laughs> what? And we haven't even gotten up to the but, part where the well, high school is an airship. I okay, I'll say this one shut up. I think whenever you play these games there's sort of a basic understanding that the premise of like magic and stuff like that is fanciful but like the general way that humans will respond and plot narrative is is supposed to adhere to some level of logic am i wrong there yes no you're not i mean in this particular situation you're you're not wrong in this particular situation yeah it is a little bit ridiculous in the big fucking mansion that this guy has he locks him in the one room that has the the secret passageway to get out i forgot yes, about my passage to the sewers and the and, music and the way did they discover it but my point is not to single out this one scene it's just that it's emblematic of some like silly things about the story that bugged me but you're right it gets way weirder and way sillier so oh, no argument exactly but man that first disc ends on cool note cool the first mm-hmm. disc is yeah i love the first disc of this game so let's jump back in Ooh, the party too is now held in prison, but they manage to escape. They hear of Adia's plan to destroy Trabia and Balam Gardens. Half of the party goes to stop the missile launch, and the other half go to Balam Garden to warn them of the incoming missile attack. The missile launch party is unsuccessful in stopping the missile launches, but manages to delay the missiles aimed at Balam and also blow up the facility. The garden party manages to get the garden moved before being blown up. Balam cannot be controlled and crashes into Fisherman's Horizon. However, the missiles hit Trabia and it is largely destroyed. Not completely, but largely. While the locals repair Balam, Galbadia invades to look for a girl named Elone, who is hiding in Balam. Before she leaves, she reveals to Squall and his party that she was sending them flashbacks to 17 years earlier in an attempt to alter history. The flashbacks involve Laguna, Kyrus, and Ward, former Galbadian soldiers. Squall learns that after Laguna left Galbadia, he went to a quiet village and began to look after alone. So I love the implementation of flashbacks in Final Fantasy VIII because they managed to be an integrate. They managed to be integrated into areas to relieve the tension of the main story, while also letting the player experience the history instead of reading about it or being told secondhand by other characters. Um, Josh, what do you feel was the value of telling the story in this way? Um. Um, we we kind of breezed over it, but this is the second major flashback in the game. Um, well, no, it's I was, more par- than the I was second. pairing this them all the together. Third, fourth like, or fifth. Like, but, but here's here's the thing. I, I I need to say this right now. You guys keep saying that I'm breezing over this stuff. I got a lot of shit for there's, writing there's a so ten page much in this game. Yeah, I, I got I got a lot of shit for writing over writing a ten page script about Ickenfell, especially mm-hmm. from Morgan. And so after that, and I got a lot of shit that I was like, you know what? I'm going to write these super short and succinct. Yeah. So, I mean, if you guys no, are going to keep giving me shit for it, I'm going to start I, writing no, longer no, it ones is. again. That's, that's the point. That's what I'm getting towards. Um, the, the, the way the flashbacks 
are not just a thing you see, but experienced by the characters, I think is unique to this game. Um, I, I can't, I'm sure there are other games, but like just offhand, this is, this is kind of the example of something like that. Like, um, they do a really good job of not just showing you this flashback, but it meaning something to the rest of the cast. Um, and it makes it so much more intriguing that not just you are considering it, but the rest of the characters. Uh, they talk about it. The they main cast is, it. yeah, yeah. They're they're going to go back and discuss this weird thing that just happened to them as well as you. Uh, once you get back to the main story, and I think yeah, that they're is, like, holy shit, there are bits of it. Out. Yeah, yeah. You don't and I think that see. is extremely well done. That's such a cool idea of having you essentially experience the same thing that a character in the game does. Uh, it gives you such a direct connection um, to to the experience of the character you're controlling. Like, okay, I don't know what's going on here. The character I'm controlling is also kind of basically in the same boat. Like, we just experienced the same thing mm-hmm. in the same way, more or less. Um and I love the way they handled the flashbacks in this game. I, I um, like the flashbacks are honestly one of the standout. They're one of the be- I love parts Laguna, of this game. I love those characters. Yeah, they're they're so good. And, and let's be good. honest, yeah. as battle tracks go, man with the machine gun slaps. Oh yeah, it does. It's yeah, very good. It all slaps. But yes, that is legendary slap. Um, no, Shay, no one's mad about you for speeding through stuff. I'm just always worried you're going to yell at me if I want to go back and talk about stuff. No, no, I was, I was, I was, again, I wasn't getting, like, the point being, like, we brushed, we'd breeze, we'd blown past the, the first, like, the, the, the flashbacks. This has been happening throughout. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, like, this is kind of the, the point where it's like, you, narratively it really draws attention to it like you just came off of this ridiculously high high and how do they move on from that point you're in a flashback now like you just you just came off this mission you don't know what's going on you're curious how all these things shook out after such an amazing set piece as the end of disc one of final fantasy eight and then you're experiencing another mystery like you want you want answers, and they give you more questions moving into disc two. Love questions, um, and it is done excellently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rich and Morgan, feel free to jump in. What, what are the other things about those flashbacks I wanted to mention? With the, the three characters mainly uh, you're seeing through the eyes of are Laguna, Kiros, and Ward, and it's always and this is another point that to what Josh is saying, like the characters are experiencing this. It's always three party members at random uh, that are experiencing it. So, like, you'll see three of them go unconscious in real time, and the others are all just, like, watching over them. Um, I thought it was the three that you had selected that you're wandering no, around with. No, it's specific people at specific points. It's specific people at specific points in the story. Oh, okay. okay. Um, I couldn't remember that part. Fair enough. Uh, even to the point of, like, later on, there are perspectives you don't see, because you keep seeing Laguna, who Squall is always Laguna in these flashbacks, but, uh, later on, when, like, the parties split, like, They'll Zell... talk about other flashbacks that you didn't yeah. see. Yeah, like, Zell will wake up, and he'll be like, 
or a selfie, I believe, actually, is the one who wakes up in the prison and is like, I was Ward again, but he was alone, and I, I think mm-hmm. he was working in a prison. Yeah, and so she has information that she'll then tell you at that point. Hmm. Um, yeah, like, they do a really good job of kind of, like like I was saying, like, trying to put you in the position of this character. Like, okay, I just lived this. Um generally squall is kind of the point of view character even in those flashbacks where you're anytime you go back you're going back as essentially in the flashback that squall himself experienced um yes to 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 to, to view it from there there's um, specific reasons for that which they, they explain yes. later on like um, squall has a, a title laguna that is important and yeah um but like I, they do a really good job of Again, Squall is kind of a nah. like just there's not a lot to him sort of a character, um, but they still do an awful lot to try to they they do a really good job of making you connect to him, given how little there is to connect to on a um just like an individual level. Uh, to be fair, like w- connecting with Squall, like he has this, he has that like stereotypical like late nineties ca- grunge, grungy tough guy exterior, but they do cut ca- let you to an extent as the player see inside Squall's head, mm-hmm. like we see his thoughts a lot of the time and not necessarily just what he's saying. So we get a little bit more insight into what he's really like as opposed to the face he's putting up to the rest of the party. I, I would agree with you yeah. on your comparison, Rich. If grunge involved gacked. Then I think we're on point there, because um, that's actually who Squall was based off of—the Japanese superstar Gact, according to Tetsuya Nomura. Um, no more but, questions, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, yeah, no, I I think what the reason you hit on there that's interesting is they make you sort of empathize or get into him, even though he's kind of a block character, because they almost are sucking you into this mythos behind him that he's some sort of mis- super mysterious badass, but there's something inside of him that you're going to peel back. Yeah. And that's what Renoa thinks is there. And Quistus thinks is there. And you as the player thinks is there. Yeah, and is, is it there? Y- yes. And slash, but what's there is Laguna, which is like a much inter- more interesting character. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, I love Laguna. Like the, the Laguna is a good character, but his circumstances are not as interesting as Squall's, though. I don't agree with that. Hey! Really, I mean, well, sort I mean, of is it, like in the sense that his my circumstances right now, are far maybe. more interesting than you know. There's no, there's no parade. There's than no Mark Anthony because um, there's so much more backstory in my story. <laughs> I, I see I see your point. Like Squall definitely has more set pieces he's involved in, but I do yeah. feel like some of Laguna's situations are as compelling if not some of them are more compelling. Like the stuff when he um is meeting Julia and he goes to visit her in the hotel room. I thought that stuff was super compelling because it's a lot of character building for that character yeah. that you don't get to see all that often. I felt like I got to know Laguna as a more consistent character than I would say some yeah. of the party members and at times including Squall. Yeah. Um, um I wouldn't say as a whole like I feel like Squall is probably the 
the most fleshed out character out of all of them but his character isn't as compelling as say Laguna and that's largely because of some of the character building that they do with Laguna yeah and this is this is something I don't know if it was intentional or not because it came out way before it should have made any goddamn sense but I played it after the fact and my reading of it is Laguna is like the first generation in this forever war like it's it's a new thing they're still trying to live their lives they think they can win this the and war is still happening yeah. during your your life when you're you're like the war you are all mercenaries in in the main story in Final Fantasy VIII yeah. is the same war that these flashbacks are the beginning of um which again I played this going back to it after 911 when we were back in the motherfucking Gulf War again um and I don't know if this was intentional or not but at least to me going back through it I was absolutely getting these feelings of like look at the way these characters think they can go back to a normal life after this like oh i'm i'm absolutely a soldier but like when this is all over the thing i'm really here for is is meeting this you know musician that i really think is great and i've got an opportunity because i'm stationed here or whatever and the war never ends um and i absolutely was feeling that going through playing this game for the first time during Gulf War take two. Um, well, but that's yeah. the magic of what it is, right? Like Laguna's story is more grounded and he's more like likable and relatable, but Squalls has the, the grand set pieces and it's all about the balance of I those know, two man. characters. He's still fighting in something called the Sorceress War. Yeah. Who, Laguna? Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, well again, like, that's why I think it's so strange, because this, this came out before that should have been, like, the actual message. Like, it's not something they were making a statement about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it just, yeah. it just, it happened to line up that way. It's sort of a ubiquitous statement, though. Like, it, 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 whether it happened to line up with real-world events more so at the time is, is one thing or another. It's it's still yeah. a, state, a statement with gravity. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the weird. Like, it's. I think it's just about the balance of those characters that makes it interesting. You have a character who is more grounded, like Laguna, and then you have, but and a little more likable, a little more down to earth, and then Squall is this sort of. Empty, he's a little emptier at first, but he's this badass. He's in these huge spectacle I, things. I, I and, always do think Laguna is probably painted in a nicer picture too, because he is kind of a complete fucking uh, spaz. And yeah. y- you yeah. get the insight of the characters experiencing the flashbacks when you see them. So you'll have those text bubbles pop up of like Squall and the party being like, is this guy for fucking real? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, what's the most epic thing that Laguna even like? It's not a, a slight against Laguna. I think the balance of the two characters is why it works. I, I, I like don't a think lot epic's of... the question for me. I just think I find him more compelling as a, as a character. I found him more compelling, but I found his circumstances less compelling. Some of them. Some mm-hmm. of them. Um, but who knows what Laguna would have been like in those grand situations. Like, that's my point. Is it's yeah, just, I mean, that's different. fair-ish, because, again, most of what he did in those flashbacks seemed like it was really important to them, but it, it, like, it didn't matter. Like, he was just a soldier in this war that has never ended. Um, 
And I think that's kind of yes. the perspective you get. Like, okay, um, they eventually go home and do their own thing. Like, we're too old to be soldiers in this war anymore. We didn't accomplish anything. Um, and they kind of have to move on from there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and yeah, and the balance of those two stories is, is interesting that way. I think Laguna is definitely something you can relate to, especially as you get older. His story is a, a little bit more grounded and it had a lot less issues for me, um, to nitpick when I, whenever I was playing back through what I did. Um, I like the part really... where he fights the dragon <laughs> in his grounded story. Wasn't that like a, well, I mean, there's dragons in the world. Again, that's what I'm talking about, like part of the world conceit. Yeah, no, no, I is, know. Is, is that there's fantasy and dragons, but that you want a basic level of, you know, realistic actions and characters. Otherwise, what are we doing here? But yeah, no, I, uh, as a kid, I think I found Laguna a little bit kind of boring, which is weird because I think as an adult, I definitely enjoyed him a lot more. <sighs> And yeah, of course, the music is great. Doo, 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 doo. I couldn't tell you much about Kiros and Ward, to be honest with you. I couldn't tell you a damn thing about Kiros and Ward. Oh um, my god, Kiros is... I wish he could play as Kiros for the entire game. And weird Ward, guy with blade hands? <laughs> he's No, he's holding knives. Oh, that's right. That's right, he is holding knives. They're, they're just a, a, a strange group of people. Like a weird... Like he has weird looking knives, and then like um, that guy with the giant harpoon thing. Is, Ward is, is the boy. Ward gets a, a pretty bad rap, man. He has a bad life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's injured in the know. war, and then is eventually a injured mute veteran after that. Um, yeah. Okay. Like they, See, they all have an awful lot long. of baggage coming out of that, um, which you kind of you that get conflicts yeah. of. You get bits of going forward, but yeah, that's yeah. cool. Still, I, I think it was very prescient considering that was made before the second Gulf War. Yeah, no, that's that. I, I that that's a good point. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Squall is appointed the leader of Seed by Sid and begins to come to terms with his attraction towards Renoa. Through conversation and memory recall, they learn that they, along with Seifer and Alone, all used to reside in the same orphanage, and it was run by Idea. They were separated at some point, which they cannot remember. They couldn't remember that they were all raised in the same orphanage because of the amnesia caused by the use of the Guardian Forces, which are powerful beings that allow the party to attack enemies with overwhelming power. Adia and Sid, Adia's husband, established Seed and Balam Garden in order to protect the land from evil sorceresses. Balam Garden, led by Squall, goes to attack the Galbadia army aboard Galbadia Garden, who is led by Seifer. Adia is aboard Galbadia Garden, and the party manages to defeat both. Adia is released from the hold by sorceress Ultimicia, who has plans to capture alone to achieve time compression. Ultimicia secretly transfers her powers to Renoa, and Renoa enters a coma. Squall takes Renoa and the city to Esther to find Alone so she can help Renoa recover. There are two questions that I want to address here before we move on with the plot. First, I want to talk about Squall's feelings for Renoa and how they develop. Having recently played the fir- the fir- uh, having recently played the game to completion, I wanted to know if you guys felt that this plot point felt natural or forced. 
whoever can jump in first. Uh, this is the one plot point that feels like it fucking turns on a dime for me, and I've, I've expressed this before. Like, I, I like aspects of both those characters, but, like, them having feelings for each other feels like such a weird and sudden turn. Um, like, y- you always knew it was going there because it was part of, like, the imagery of the game and stuff like that, but... Up through, like, the first disc, Squall is very dismissive all the time. And not necessarily a jerk, but he just doesn't seem... He's aloof and he doesn't seem to care. And Renoa has this fixation with Seifer, who was, like, her white knight, who was this guy who was going to go above and beyond to help her. And you see, like, Squall and Renoa clearly care for each other as as things start to play out, but... It feels very abrupt, and part of that could be poor translations, and part of it could just be generally poor parts of the script. It's hard to say, especially with games from that era, but there are bits of it that just never really felt right to me. Hmm. I didn't feel that way personally, Rich. Um, It's been a long time. I personally felt like most of her memories of Seifer were... Mm in the past and that she was kind of fawning all over you and really trying to break your tough exterior. Um, it's, it's been a while, so you could be right. I just don't remember having that uh, memory personally. So yeah, you're right about it being in the past, but the past you're talking about was like a week ago. Well, and also she keeps bringing it up to squall. Like literally she continuously brings it up to squall. Um, which, I don't, again, I'm kind of with you, Rich, I, I don't know if it was, like, poor translation or, like, it was, she's doing this in an attempt to make Squall jealous, like, yeah. hey, like, I'm really into you, let me talk about my old boyfriend to, like, try to get you to say something instead of continuing to be this, you my know, My old boyfriend who's also, standoffish. like, your school bully. Yeah, like, like stop being so standoffish. Let me try to force you into saying something. Like, have an opinion about a about a goddamn thing. Like, I'm I'm trying to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't know if that's what they were trying to go for, but yeah, it does feel very weird. How would they? It like it really goes from her talking about how great Seifer was to we were made for each other. It's just zero to one hundred real quick. Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't know. I'm like I'm always torn on this because again, like I feel like it's doing an awful lot of the kind of the a lot of this love triangle trope kind of continues to this day. Like it's it is very much a sort of teen drama sort of staple. And and it's only it, it's harder to do a love triangle when one part of the love triangle only pops up like every six hours to call you a bitch and attack you. Yeah. Chicken was, but yeah. yeah, it was strange. Like I, I feel That's like, Zell. yeah, oh. like I, like Seifer's not quite present enough to make it feel like a proper love triangle. He just shows up to kill Odin and then goes home. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Like I think at the time I noticed it less. Like I just like, yeah, I'm talking about viewing it from a, like a more con- like the last time I played it, like, when that remaster dropped, or these are a lot mm-hmm. of the thoughts I was having. Um, not Definitely not at the time was I thinking about it in this way. Yeah, because I, I th- yeah, I think it, it it played to what we expected, 
way more than which is mostly melodrama yeah and it like we we understood where it was going we kind of we knew what it was supposed to end up as you've already come to terms with that before you even hit play so yeah so like you you kind of you give it the benefit of the doubt like oh obviously it ends this way so let me kind of interpret everything in that light um whereas like if you kind of look at it the other way around it it doesn't play the same way totally i i think that squall's transformation from not really liking her to suddenly liking her was the more jarring situation here for me um i understand what you guys are saying what you guys are saying but we spend more time in squall's head than renella's and there is a lot less indication that he's gonna have feelings for her like there are inklings of that and then suddenly i feel like what you guys are saying about renella is much more prominent with squall because of how much time you as the player spend with squall and that like having just played it again recently um especially having played that part where suddenly he's like oh shit we gotta save renoa i was like where the hell did this come from because it it literally comes out of fucking nowhere like there's a there's a big sequence i don't know if you guys remember this where you're kind of just moseying around balam garden and you're like seeing what everyone's doing everyone's kind of doing different things like uh selfie um is heading up this little celebration out in the i don't know if it's the quad area yeah yeah yeah. and then zell's like well i'm gonna go help her because i kind of think she's cute and then the garden festival thing yeah yeah, the garden festival and then irving's off doing whatever the hell irving's doing uh quistus is polishing guns and laying down with a cowboy hat on his head Mm-hmm. right Naked. exactly yeah everybody's <laughs> doing their own thing and i mean there are inklings of you know starting to develop something with renoa because it's kind of forced upon you selfie is like yeah. hey i want to borrow your ring or no sorry zell's like hey i want to borrow your ring for no reason and then later on renoa suddenly has his ring and she's mm-hmm. like i was going to make a copy of it so we could have a matching pair and i was like and like that's not even an indication that Squall is developing feelings for her. It's yeah. like everybody's kind of like pushing it towards that. It's almost and then of him. suddenly hey. when it goes through that whole process of uh Reno- like they're fighting Idea and then Renoa is overtaken by Sorceress Ultimicia, all of a sudden yeah. Squall is like, Well fuck, I really like her. And I think what they were going for there was like I didn't know what I really had until I'm about to lose it. And I think that's what they were going for. But the way they implemented it was yeah. so jarring. Yeah, no, uh, it is. It is jarring, especially yeah. because right around that time, they introduce a loan to you. And she's almost like a fourth wheel on this love triangle. Like, it seems like they're introducing her as like, oh, this is who Squall's actually going to be into after all this. She's like, it doesn't go anywhere, but an awful lot of the framing as soon as that, as soon as she's introduced is, is kind of, it's nudged in that direction. That relationship is going one way, but it's like almost a like pseudo maternal relationship to a point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and Shay actually hit on it. I was going to play devil's advocate, but I think, 
that's exactly what I was thinking. He's that he, Squall's not someone who's supposed to be good at expressing his feelings, and then the second she's gone, he it seems abrupt because he's now again. It's been a long time, so I'm my that was just my general premise was that he's um uh, because he's so poor at expressing his feelings. He's like, oh shit, I can't be the moody bad boy anymore. This girl's gone. Well, oh my god, like and it kind of hits you like a train wreck. Does it happen he, a little fast? Yes. Probably. It but but also I, I'm I'm going to defend it, but also using the way it's a train wreck is also the way it works, um, because Squall's kind of a fucking nightmare. Like he's he's a teenage wreck. The idea that okay, this character is literally one hundred percent off the table now. They're damsel in distress. Of course, I've got to do everything to salvage this relationship. Like I'm, we're meant to be together because. It's not an option anymore. Um, mm. And I, I kind of feel like that's it's more a defense mechanism. Like, let, let me be super into this one person who is not even here anymore. Um, and I think it works yeah. on that level. Like it gives you something to focus on. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I, I feel like it, as, as less as a relationship itself, then... Sounds characterizing <laughs> squall is how it works at least in my mind yeah i mean i think we're all guilty in some way shape or form of having had someone not all of us i should say a majority of us have having of having someone attracted to us and we like the thought of that more than the thought of being with that person you know and then when it comes to losing that person not all of us but some people have been like oh well shit I, I didn't realize that this person can, could end up not wanting to be in that same spot for the rest of their lives, you know? And I think that's kind of what is trying to be depicted here. But it, it because of the shift in writing and the shift in tone, it ends up really weird. And it actually, that leads me to the second question I had, um, which is the orphanage reveal, which is one of the most hotly debated plot points in the entire game. Um, for many people, it is kind of a make or break segment of the game in terms of story, uh, whether they are going to continue with the rest of the story or they're just off of it at that point. How do you guys feel about the reveal of this twist? Uh, Rich, I'm going to throw it to you first. Um, I mean, again, I think it works for the point of what the narrative is trying to serve, but a lot of the stuff in the latter half of this game along with this everything feels a lot really zero to 100 to me a lot of the time like some of it feels so out of left field and there are uh we we had tried to verify this when we were uh talking the other night i know and it's hard to say from this era of game development but there there was a lot of rumor over the years that like the development team changed hands a lot during the point of this game in terms of the people who are writing the story, and that's why things get a little wackier in this back half. Um, and a lot of how I feel about this is how I feel about a lot of the story in the back half of Final Fantasy VIII, which is like, none of it's exceptional. It, it gets you where you need to go. Yeah, it's it's a shame, because it's such a juxtaposition from the first half of the game, I'd say. Because mm-hmm. the first two discs... I mean, there's there's some interesting choices. I, I would say that's a nice way of putting it in disc two, but for the most part, it's really solid. And then you get to this point, and the the change is so jarring and abrupt, and 
it, it, it leaves it, this particular twist left me scratching my head. Um, mm. I think that, like you said, I could see what they're where they're trying to go with it, but the way they implement it was like, oh, and by the way, we all know each other, like just out of nowhere, and it's like the fuck. Having having just yeah, played yeah. it again, uh, playing that exact sequence again, I was like, where is this coming from and why? Like, what what purpose does this serve? And the only conclusion I could really come up with was that um, it served as a reminder of where in order to protect the the world, we are sacrificing our minds, our cognitive ability to remember things like that. That's such a mm-hmm. that's a big thing. And I feel like it takes a backseat to, oh, we knew each other. Like, because it feels it almost like, a felt lazy, like a twist for the sake of a twist. Because it, it of feels the way like they a lazy plot it. device because of that. Because, like, they just, that, like, they briefly mar over the, like, well, what does that mean about the GF? Like, well, we can't stop using GF. And so they don't. Yeah. Like, it almost feels like it belongs in a different game because it comes out of nowhere. And it's such an interesting idea, like Rich is saying. Like, the idea of sacrificing your memories to save the world is super intriguing like that is but they that don't is... do anything with it exactly yeah. like there's nothing done with the idea other than like this brief plot point right now and then it it essentially goes nowhere um like well, like they're, 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 they're like they're like minor things they later did. on like, but you like were talking about earlier with like the, the war stuff the war stuff you were talking about earlier like, this would have paired really well with it. Like, oh, we have to make these sacrifices in order to stop this ongoing war. And, I mean, that's I'm sure that's the truth for some people who have actually been to war in real life. They have to sacrifice their time with their family. They have to s- sacrifice yeah. their own mental sanity to some degree to do something so difficult, and how, depending on how some people view it, wrong or right. Um and I think this would have been another um, a- aspect to what they were trying to convey there with that specific point. Yeah, like yeah, because it, the idea is that the GFs mess with their memories, so they didn't remember that they were all from the same orphanage. Is that the whole point? And really? Zell was like, "Oh, that's right, I'm adopted." Yes. But the yeah. but the larger issue was, I think the larger thing about them being from the same orphanage is actually, weirdly enough, I think I'm okay with that because it's sort of like one of those st- – because you have the sorceress of time and you have all these sort of insane things dealing with time in this game, right, and compression and all this stuff. So the idea that they were all sort of fated to end up together as heroes of destiny for an RPG like this, weirdly enough, for me, works. Um, and I think that the idea of the GF sort of like this war thing messing with their memories is interesting. They just didn't yeah. have the skill to sort of expand upon that at the time. And it, well, they didn't try to. No, yeah, I agree. Um, I think narratively it works, except that you're not given the perspective that makes it work. Um, because essentially it frames the in the entire story from this point on is kind of framed from idea and Sid's perspective. Like, okay, I understand I'm like idea at this point. Like I'm, I'm a magic user. The sorceress is going to in, try to continue the war from my timeline forward by using me because like just give, give, given everything going on and 
she runs this orphanage with Sid, and the idea is, okay, given that I am going to propagate this war going forward, let's do everything I can to stop it while I still have any agency at this point. And it's really interesting. Like, that's a, that's a really cool idea. But those aren't the main characters in this story. And it's... They are the, the generation before that we're... It's like you're there to mop up the mess. Yeah, like it's it's a it's a weird sort of thing. I don't know. Like I'm I'm torn in the story because I feel like there's so many cool ideas, but like the way they come together from a single perspective is hard to square. Like it, a lot it of almost cool stuff feels that's like not that well executed. Yeah, like it like it it feels like you almost need to play the game eight different times, focusing on a different character oh, each time. Like eight ha- different times. Eh? Well, well, like like how you about Saga Frontier? Yeah, like how 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 are you interpreting the story? Like given okay, like Laguna's arc through this, what does it mean to him? Like Adia's arc through this narrative, what does it mean to them? Squall's arc like this, that should be the main one. Like that's who you're playing as the entire time. It feels like the least comprehensible. Like it there is there is so much going on in this world, uh, that like it almost Whatever. makes sense for him to be this disconnected sort of angsty teen at this point like like there's it it, there's too much to understand there's like there's i can't i can't solve any of these problems there's too much for me me to wrap this up he has so much thrust on him Mm -hmm. he has a ton of stuff thrust on him like throughout the entire game like the the relationship with renoa is kind of thrust upon him not only by renoa but his friends him Mm -hmm. um going to the seed mission is thrust upon him him taking over seed is thrust upon him him having to go save Balam yeah. Garden from Galbadius thrust upon him. Him suddenly being in this war with sorceresses and magic and time is like all of it's thrust upon him. And he's like, he's a guy who's just very much to himself, wants to just go out and kind of do mercenary work. And suddenly he's having to save yeah. the universe with this girl who won't leave him the fuck alone. And like, I'm not, I'm not empathizing with him. I'm saying like this. I, I can see where there's there's it's some like some of those disconnected points do feel disconnected and I think they do work in some regards. Like some of the things that we're talking yeah. about where it's like it's abrupt, I think it should feel abrupt. And I think I actually I think Morgan had a decent point with like them all like being fated to save the world together. I think that that's a really good point. That's that's in line with like a JRPG style plot point. Um it's yeah. yeah, it just I think some of those things should feel abrupt and then I think some of them shouldn't have felt abrupt and I think that's kind of what we're talking about here is yes, yeah, so, some of that yeah, I mean we don't need everything neat and clean, but some of the points that should have been neat and clean weren't quite there yeah. unfortunately. And this this and I think for me is the culmination of that. Yeah, no, I absolutely. Again, like I feel like this is a narrative that works better on repeat viewings cuz there's just it's it's a narrative that works better from a perspective other than the main characters, which is um, like it, it's say, weird. Like it like it it takes yeah, it takes yeah. the context of what the fuck is actually going on to make sense of the, the narrative that you're given. Yeah, I think the right. discussion, Josh, is interesting to me 
but because some of the dialogue is so rough, it's hard for me to give the game repeat reviewings. Not to mention the yeah. the combat is pretty dated at this point. But if if the combat was a little more interesting and the dialogue was better, I would be happy to play the game over and over and and analyze it. But um, I don't think those aspects of it hold up great. But I will say this on uh, one final the, note. Think- oh no, go ahead. I'll save my final note for later. I was going to say really quickly, thankfully, with the implementations of various mechanics that they put into the remaster, like being able to speed it up three times or being able to basically, (laughs) to be honest with you, during the last little bit of the game, I played it like this. I didn't at first, but then I was like, I I just want to get through it and see what the ending is. Um, You can actually make it to where unless something one shot kills you, you don't die. And so basically anytime I had to do combat, I was just rolling through the combat, which thankfully took away a lot of the more grinding aspects to that, to where I could just enjoy the story much more um, and quicker. So I know that I think, um, you know, like, like to your point, Morgan, I think, I don't think you're wrong at all. If you're to play the base original game without any kind of uh, mechanic enhancement like those, then yeah, to, to play it multiple times now in 2021 is going to feel I- incredibly rough. But had they do- had they done that then and implemented that kind of method, I think it would have worked better. Or if they did that kind of like a if they if the game ever got a remake and they did it to where they had from multiple viewpoints, I think that would be really cool too. Yeah, I, I want to say this one quick thing about the fast forwarding shake because you had mentioned this. Um... Mm. I've noticed even with modern games, for example, well, I wouldn't say modern, but when I played the Final Fantasy XII remake, they had that in there. Persona 5, they give you a fast-forward button the first time through the game. It's a modern game. I think even the the genre has realized that it's long-winded, and it's just like when modern games like Persona 5 are like, here's a fast-forward button, and I find myself using it because it's just, it's, you know, by pace, by design, it's a little bit slow. It's it's nice. I think what game that, are you playing? Um, I think it's a nice thing to have. I really do. It's for even a lot of those little transitional moments. It's just speeding through things is very helpful. Yeah, for I, I think I think games have evolved to where we don't need to be do, doing grinding like that anymore. Thankfully, so I think you could make a case that if you have to put a fast forward function in your game, maybe you could do some better design. But um, that's for another day. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll discuss that another time. Let's jump back into the story. We still we still got a bit to go, guys. Um, when the staff at the Esther space station attempt to help Renoa, Ultimicia possesses Renoa and uses her to release Sorceress Adele, another sorceress, an evil and destructive sorceress held captive for years from the orbital prison. Simultaneously, Ultimicia orders Cipher to activate the lunatic Pandora facility, which incites a lunar cry, sending Adele's containment device to the surface of the planet along with millions of monsters. Ultimicia plans to use Adele as her next host, so she leaves Renoa out in space to die. Squall goes out to rescue her. They return to the planet, having shared a romantic moment in, in the vacuum of space. They find an abandoned starship floating in orbit of the planet and commandeer it. Alone is also captured by Galbadia forces. Squall and the crew reunite, and they fly back to Esther to meet with Laguna, 
now the president of Esther, with his right-hand men, Kiros and Ward. Laguna informs the crew of Dr. Odin's plan to allow Ultimicia to compress time in accordance with their plan in order to allow Elone to send the crew into Ultimicia's time period and defeat her. Squall and the crew go to Lunatic Pandora and hand Seifer's ass to himself, and then they also rescue Elone and kill Adele. Ultimicia possesses Renoa again and starts to activate time compression. Alone sends the crew into Ultimicia's time. So I'm going to be honest with you guys. I just probably went through two-thirds of disc three within two minutes. So there's a lot to unpack there, just as a heads up. So I apologize if that was a lot to take in at once. Um, before we do the Mad Dash to the end, though, because we are coming upon towards the end, I want to discuss a few things beforehand. First, if Ultimicia was so terrible... Why did why did there continue to be sorceresses in, sorceresses in this game? They just all to be seem to be evil or misguided throughout the game. Why would why did this game continue just to allow sorceresses to just exist? Can anybody tell me? Um, my understanding is like, what's the solution besides like a genocide? It, it seems like some people are just born with this ability, yeah. and I, I, it might be like a, a an a like absolute power corrupts absolutely sort of thing like for the most part people with these abilities are just end up using them for evil i I don't think it has a if that is what the commentary is supposed to be i don't think it's particularly good but it's like the boys you know if you have a superpower mm, no i don't don't think it's that at all i I think it's actually the opposite it's a joke because again so much is left to you need to interpret this we're not going to tell you in this game um Ultimicia is from the far, far, far future in this world. Um, and she is essentially taking over different sorceresses from the past because they've really, they've reached that stage in A, technology, B, in their magical ability to be able to control sorceresses from that far back. The, the and she's intending to time was Adele. Yeah, take over the world in her own time by going back and controlling these other sorceresses, which is why in all the flashbacks to stuff that happened, you know, decades before the game proper, you're fighting these forces that are from the future because she's taken over this sorceress right. from, you know, the game's past and given them knowledge that they shouldn't have at that point. Um, to be able to take over the world. Like, it is It is essentially... My brain hurts. Oh. It, it, like, it's, it is... It is assen- like, this is, in a lot of ways, like, here, let me show you this really easy path forward. Like, it, this is... It is fascism. Like, is what it is. is what Here's it guns is. from the future. Go like, kill everyone. Yeah, like, we... If we just don't give a shit about any of our citizens... We can do an awful lot. Uh, we can be this far technologically beyond the rest of the world. Um, like it is. Like this. This is this game is a commentary on fascism at this point, which is something that Japan had history with at this point. 
um like a lot of japanese yeah. media is commentary on world war Two, um which is i don't think is news to anyone but like this game in particular seems to be a direct commentary on the idea of the idea of a god emperor like someone who is so far above everyone else that they're unquestionable like what what does that bring like um obviously you can do an awful lot if everyone is 100 percent on board with one person's idea their emperor was not technologically advanced at the time but they were 100 percent on board with a single singular goal um and were extremely effective at accomplishing that goal because yeah. of that yeah um like like a, an awful lot of this game is commentary on that um yeah you're not wrong i you know i i'm glad you went into it much more than i would have cuz i wrote this this question more as a joke than anything cuz i was thinking about it as i was writing and i was like there's sorceress ultimicia who's ev- evil and then you have sorceress adia who's misguided because she's controlled by sorceress ultimicia but she's kind of evil through the first half of the game and then you have so- suddenly they're like well let's throw another sorceress in there who sh- she's evil too and then i was just like fucking how like is that is that just the mo of this game just do you ever sorcery even see sorceress adele on screen Mm. What was that? Do you ever even see Sorceress oh. Adele on screen? I don't think you. Yes. Do you? Isn't she a boss? You do in disc three when um when you go up to orbital prison, the orbital prison. Yeah, um, yeah, like yeah, she's, yeah. Oh, she's yes, there. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah, no. They're all creepy yeah. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what. But that's what I was Thank, talking about. Thankfully, since I played this game, that like <laughs> very recently, that we have all this memory hey, but like you actually have that really big fight night. with her in lunatic pandora <laughs> too where like she's kind of holding she's holding renoa and she's draining the life force from renoa so you have to beat yeah. her no that's right like in a reasonable amount of time like in my mind i have a hard time distinguishing between sorceresses at that point because just mentally at that point you're given the knowledge to know that everything that is actually happening is under it's like it's 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 ultimicia at this point like that's the actual villain like that's we that's keep what the witches on the moon at this point and so like yeah. at about this point it becomes hard to at least for me distinguish the individual plot points because i feel like we are mm. the goal is in sight we we know what we're heading towards um it's just a matter of getting there. Yeah. yeah. And like, I have a hard time distinguishing it's, individual it's plot points from on. this point forward. A lot happens between knowing what you're supposed to be doing and actually doing it. Yeah. But like, I just remember the big swaths. Yeah. Like I said, I, I mean, I'm caught up. I played the Dalit mission last night. Yeah. No, I, I will say that. And, and then we can move on from this point. I think that a lot of the earlier questions that they had, they chose to kind of like, start wrapping up those loose threads one after another really quickly all at once. Mm -hmm. And like, that's where a lot of the confusion comes along with them starting to introduce some new things. Like Adele isn't really hinted at until, uh, towards the end of disc two started disc three. And it's not necessarily bad that they were trying to introduce this other force, but it also feels like, well, they could have, there's a version of that game 
where they didn't need Sorceress Adele in there, and yeah. it would have been a little bit less convoluted. Like but, but th- me, that's possible. Let me ask you a question, yeah. Shay, Josh Rich, because I, I agree with what you're saying. If I asked you, Shay, to describe what a sorceress is in this world, what would you say? A magic lady. Uh, just someone who is can use magic to its full benefit. I would say. Can you can um, use magic without drawing? There you go. And but why can they use magic without drawing? Because they're ability. magic. No, but where did that come from? Is it like a genetic thing? Like, how does that happen? Well, we, we're never given answers. So, that, I mean, like, yet. that's... Well, and so, one interesting yeah. thing about that, yeah. like, if you I... Google, if you look into, like, the definition of the sorceress for Final it says, like, um, um, witch. Um, but in the world of Final Fantasy VIII, humans who have received the sorceress's power, like you said, a magical power said to have been given to humanity by the great Hein long ago. Or... But yeah, it's like I don't this remember really vague idea. where that information is. I don't know where that uh, information is um, directly given to the player. I don't remember that. And I guess I almost said where it's inseminated to the player, but I meant disseminated. <laughs> I almost said inseminated, and mm. that's the wrong word. Yeah, he said it. Slightly different meaning to that's you know. Yeah. Like, like you were saying, it's a it's a fantasy world. So if you're depending on how picky about that stuff is going to re- depend on the person. But because sorceresses are such a huge part of the story, there's just this part of me that's ve- where where stuff like that is so vague. Where it's like, okay, but like, why are they this way? Because they're a huge deal in this world. These yeah. people, that no, have these it's it's never power. really explained. But again, I feel like it's less a narrative thing. Like it, it's never explained in the world. But again thematically in the world. there's only ever one sorceress um as far as at a time more or less is like like they overlap but as far as like when one is controlled by Ultimicia, like it's the idea is it's very much meant to be like a reflection on the emperor the fresh it's it's meant to mirror like a sort of monarchy um in world like, it makes like less sense speaking, it yes, makes it makes way less sense because again there are three in the world at the time of the game um presumably more from like the, the lore of what those people are like they, they, yeah like, presumably more but like like it, 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 as far as what we're given um yeah, yeah and i and i guess when i was going through the game again i remember thinking like oh my god this sorceress is such a huge part of the story and the answer to why she has powers is just because I don't know. Yeah, there's people with powers yeah. because, and I'm just like, I mean that that, that, have, that doesn't really bother me though because like the term sorceress is like a catch-all for me at this point. Like there are people in this world that can use magic without the aid of a GF. Like I can accept that. That's that's not a problem. Yeah, like they never explain monsters either. Well, but, well but no, they saying, come from maybe, the moon. Maybe <laughs> yeah, in like but, the old like maybe yeah, when we were kids. And we were playing a Final Fantasy game, and it was yeah. kind of goofy, right? But because the implications of this are so silly, well, you hate goofy things, it, or well, but... so so serious. <laughs> again, I'm just like okay, I don't know. I like, know. I read it way more metaphorically because, again, so much of Japanese mythology is based off of gods who live on or are currently stuck on the moon. Mm. Like it's like it, I feel like wow. so much of this game is just a reflection. Like how how can we interpret our own past but, in like like yes. a, like like so much of this game like is just like based off of their own culture based off of 
the mythology in Japanese culture. Like it's like it's it's, it's direct, dir- like direct, direct sort of well, uh, commentary on that. If you're, I'm agreeing with that, Josh. I'm just saying that if you want me to analyze this thing and you have this super ambitious story and that metaphor rings true, and I bet you're right. I want to also be able to know the lore of why these things also happen from just a practical standpoint. Well, it it, that it w- appears that that would make it more interesting to me. It appears that it's there for you, which is that Hein, the the sort of god of creation in the world of Final Fantasy VIII, passed his power on to certain human beings, and those human beings are the sorceresses. So it's just like random people that are just born with power, basically. Yes. Yeah. Just because God chose to give them power. Yes. I mean, more or less, yeah. Do we learn anything about Hein? Can let's backtrack just, further. What just, we, just what in we... text in the game. It's not. It's just an establishing. Yeah, like part he's of not that a world. character per Hein se. is the creator of this world and the only quote unquote male sorcerer. Like he created the first yeah. sorceress. And oh, at that so point, it's based. Yeah, kind of like God, basically. Yes, Hein is God. He's mm-hmm. the God of this world. Okay, well, we're getting somewhere a little bit there. Okay, so the random people are born. But so it's almost like fiction where people are born with, I know you don't like this, but, but superpowers or something, and just because. Yeah. And they're like point zero 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 one percent of a yes, population. Every, everybody loves the X-Men. I, oddly enough, yes. I, I, was, I was going there directly. Like, I feel like this is literally something that, like, it's influenced by the X-Men, and then they've taken these ideas and put well, them back into the X-Men after the fact. That, that That's the whole thing, is, like, what you're looking for answers to, Morgan, ideas like this were created so there didn't have to be answers. That's yeah. the exact reason the X-Men were created, was they didn't want to think of an origin story. They go, how did the X-Men get their powers? They were just born that way. Yeah. It, like, it just started mm-hmm. happening. Like, no one knows sure why. That, and yeah. it's freaked everyone out because there isn't an answer. Um, I, I can accept that, that there's some sort of... But see, I always thought with X-Men it was like a level of mutation, yeah. you know what I mean, or something. Like yes, that. but also, again, it just started happening. It's a genetic mutation, yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. But I think that if you can find an interesting rationale for why that's... And sure, I guess I can get behind the God thing, I guess, but I just think that there's potential interesting things to exploit there in the why, although mystery is interesting, too. Uh, there I, is, but I often find with things like this, the deeper you pull at strings like this, the less rewarding the answers are going to be. Yeah, Sometimes like, it's better to just go, okay, that's the way this world works, and that's fine. Yeah, because, I mean, literally uh, the longest thread you can pull off from any Square Enix property is Kingdom Hearts, and it continues to go on and on coming to pc on and on and on until no one gives a shit about anything going on anymore (laughs) well i'm not i'm just saying i think rich summed it up perfectly as an adult i like to pull at those strings because i find that stuff interesting and i oftentimes would feel a little unsatisfied with what i found underneath yeah yeah no like I, i again like i feel like so much more of the world makes sense like on a metaphorical level, like what are what are they actually talking about? Given these set of characters and like the like yeah. how it's framed, like what what are they actually talking about? And I feel like so much more of that is what they're going towards than like the in-universe explanations are less satisfying than the, the thing they're the premise of like addressing someone being born with this ability to use magic and just being sort of like overwhelmed sounds like an interesting story like they're born with this power and they're freaked out by it because they know that 
Yeah, that's these things why that... it's been done in like a million different mediums. I I know, but I'm just I'm just saying that has <laughs> Final Fantasy done it? Yeah. So all right. Well, sort of. They did it with the Vivi, and he's one of the best characters in all of Final Fantasy. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Let's do the Mad Dash. We we still got more it. questions to get to. <laughs> please, God. Please. After waiting through time and <laughs> after waiting through after waiting through time in Ultimicia's castle, Squall and the crew defeat Ultimicia. As she is dying, she travels back in time to pass her powers to Adia. Squall unintentionally informs Adia of her eventual forming of Garden and Seed. Squall becomes lost in time, witnessing various events from the beginning of the game, various apparitions of Renoa, and a faceless version of himself. Renoa finds Squall, but he is unresponsive. Fujin and Raijin, Cypher's friends, Reunite. Why did I say Cypher? I've been saying Cypher the whole game or the whole podcast. Fujin and Raijin, Cypher's friends, reunite with him as he feels terrible for what he has done. Laguna, Kiros, and Ward visit Rain's grave, Laguna's lover who passed away giving birth to their child, who is hinted to be Squall. Seed and Balam Garden celebrate their victory. Squall is revealed to be alive, having survived the time compression. And last, Squall and Renoa share a kiss under the moonlight. And that's the end of the game. Yay! Happy ending! Yeah. So we have ten more questions. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Due to the lack of explicit explanations of everything that happened in the story, there have been a lot of fan theories about the game. Mm-hmm. Such as Renoa is Ultimicia. Squall died after being stabbed with the ice on the float. And whether or not time can actually be changed in Final Fantasy VIII. Have you guys read through any of these fan theories and what do you guys think about them? Anyone can jump in. That's what she said. Um, yes, I have looked into them. I found them to be super interesting until they were eventually disproved by a lot of the creators of the game. But before they were disproved, I thought they sounded really fucking interesting <laughs> and cool. And then, of course, all my dreams were shattered when the people who made the game said that these were nonsense. I like the one where Squall's dead. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> it's so stupid, but yet it lines up with so much. Well, it's mm-hmm. it's used to like justify a lot of the whole like eh, a lot of behavior in disc 2 doesn't really match behavior in disc 1 and it I, there's something actually kind of interesting about the idea of like Squall sort of having these vivid dreams about what the rest of his life and the rest of his adventure would have been like as he's dying. Yeah, yeah it's an I, interesting yeah. idea. It would have been really interesting. Yeah. Um yeah, Renoa's Ultimicia has pretty much been disproven at this point, and the Squall is dead theory. Um, there was an interview, I think it was five years ago, with some of the writers and creators of the game, and one of the interviewers brought up the Squall is dead fan theory, fan theory and uh, he was like, oh yeah, that's pretty good. If we remake the game, maybe I should make that canon. Yeah. Which was basically the... His <laughs> yeah, way that. of saying... No. Yeah, exactly. But the whether or not time uh, can be changed, 
is there's this website it's called gamefacts.gamespot.com and just look up final fantasy final fantasy 8 and it will take you down this whole whole um fan theory about whether or not time can be changed and i i was telling uh rich and josh about it the other day i was i was writing this script a few days ago and i was like trying to get through some materials and i was trying to look up whether or not the writers had changed hands like rich had mentioned earlier when i came across this fan theory and it's super in-depth it deals with like metaphysics and stuff like that and it deals with like the the time shifting and time compression from the game and you know i got I got to hand it to people like I would not have ever in my life for any game I've ever played. And I, as you guys know, we all love games because we sit here and talk about them weekly. Would I have ever spent that much time like thinking that deeply about something? So I respect it. I don't know if it's valid or not, because after about 10 minutes of reading, my brain started hurting. Um, I'm sure if I sat down like in the middle of the day when my brain was fresh, I could have sat and read through it and like parsed it all out but uh some of the fan theories are interesting uh to say the least but yeah most of them have been pretty much disproven at this point i couldn't shay when you were researching it i could not find confirmation that they switched hands like rich was saying yeah Did you we, find we, we could not that's that's what he already said but okay. the the thing is and i we talked about this the other night briefly is a lot of that stuff is rumor and speculation and it's hard to keep track of especially because you're talking about a time in game development where we were they were still like to a degree hiding who was working on games because people yeah. didn't want talent getting poached and stuff like that. It was a weird time in game development, but that is a... yeah. There were all of four people who understood what a computer was when this yeah. game was made. Uh, I mean, Rich, you're right, but also you could just say I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm not yeah. saying I, I was wrong. I'm saying it's it's a rumor. Okay. You seem, I'm just messing with you, but you sounded pretty convinced. You had me believing yeah, no, that it was I, true. I'd, I'd, I'd heard that for a long time. I'd never tried to validate it. You, maybe you yeah. were confusing it with 12, because I know 12 had a big mix-up. No, that game switched. is just... That's not the problem of them switching writers. It's just a bad script. Uh, no, but they actually did have a big thing at the end yeah, of 12. Yeah, Bosch was uh, supposed to be the main character, and then they were like, wait, what if this game was bad instead? Oh god, I've opened up once. I brought this upon myself, I guess. <laughs> no, I I know what you mean, uh Morgan, cuz when I was trying to that that was a big part of why I was falling down some rabbit holes is I was trying to figure out did this game ever switch hands with writers and I couldn't find anything conclusive personally, but that doesn't mean it did or didn't happen either, you know. Um Probably never know. But yeah. Yeah. The the fan theories one was just something I wanted to acknowledge because like Josh explicitly stated earlier that this game leaves a lot of things open and so it, this game has had a ton of fan theories at this point so um what what is one aspect of this game that positively sets itself apart from any of the other entries in the final fantasy um i guess universe or ip because obviously these games are so unique in that each sequel or each new game into the um main game into the Sequence sets itself apart. What is one positive aspect that sets itself apart? Would you guys say? Um, I would go with, and this is, it, it can be kind of game breaking at points if you know how to school it. But I think the junctions, the whole junction system, is really unique and an interesting idea. Yeah, like as far as like the 
the way the combat actually plays itself out in a JRPG. It was really cool. Like, okay, let's let's do something unique with it. In practice, it ended up, at least for my OCD brain, meaning you do all the actual combat in disc one, and then there's fuck all to do. Challenging-wise for the right. rest of the game, um, like, there's, there's, there's nothing else to do. Um, which is... Eh, whatever. Like they they were they they took a really big swing with it, um, which I think is cool. Um, like it's it's a unique system still. Um, if you know how to break it, yes. it's really easily broken. Is kind of where it and you can do some wild stuff with it. With that, well, luckily when I was playing it, I was a dumb little sixteen year old, so I had a great time. Not breaking it. In fact, I remember there was this exploit that came out where you could grind in the hockey rink in disc two, and you could level up so much in like an hour that like it was in. I remember at the time it was an official PlayStation magazine, and I was like, oh, so I just stayed. More, more That's so that. funny. That's so funny because leveling up is the last thing you want to do in that game. But I do well, remember that because yes, yeah, those the 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 hockey players give you a ton of experience. Yeah, and. The way I played, I knew you never wanted to accidentally kill one because they'd level you up like eight times. Like, oh no, I'm I'm gonna go from I'm gonna go from level three to level twelve. I don't want this to happen. I've got to make sure I don't accidentally ever kill one. That sounds like a weird thing to say. That's how <laughs> you play it with it when you're. I was gonna say, Morgan, I, and this remember this is not intended to make you feel bad for not understanding it when you were sixteen. I figured out how to break this game when I was like eleven. No, like I literally broke it my first time through. I finished this game at like level twelve because I well, I be didn't fair, care Rich, about trying to do a level one three. playthrough. Yeah, yeah, that is fair. That but is yeah. fair. Yeah, I think at the time there was a ton of things. Super realistic characters, obviously technically amazing, all the weird stuff they did with the combat. Um yeah, a lot of stuff I think at yeah. the time they was had, really cool. They had swords, what were guns. Yeah. They had guns that, that's the most important things. The yeah. guns well, were swords. Well, Sorts of I mean, like long term, we talked about this earlier, but just the technological side of it—the idea of being yeah. able to play in a cutscene, ridiculously going around cool, around a controllable character like they, model. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. I, the set pieces in this game were astounding, and I feel like that became such a big part of gaming going forward. Like you, you still see stuff like that in basically every fucking Naughty <laughs> Dog game to this day. Like, how how do we make a set piece? Like, the idea of a very scripted, but unbelievably showy part of a game that everyone will experience in the same way. Yeah. Is just yeah, something you expect from, yeah. uh, like, prestige gaming at this point. Yeah. Prestige gaming. Oh, wow. The prestige gaming. Uh, I'm the prestige martyr. Ugh. Going once, going twice. We're gonna let it go. We're just gonna let it go. That's for the best. I think so. Um. Okay. Uh. One. I guess one thing I'll say positively that I really loved about this game, um, that you guys haven't said yet. I'm trying to think. Is I, I really like I guess I like 
triple triad up to a point. I I really when you start getting bogged down by all the rules, it gets a little bit tedious, especially when you're trying to do the Queen of Cards mission. But I really, for the base stuff and for some of the rules, I really enjoyed that game a lot. And when I was younger, I got lost in it a lot. And that's a good point. um, Yeah. yeah. And as an adult, I I really enjoyed certain aspects about it as well. I, I love Triple Triad. I think it's one of the better mini games they have in There's final fantasy it's games in final fantasy 14 yeah, it's excellent excellent i kind of feel like it kind of suffers from a lot of the same things that the main game does where it's easy to break and once you understand how to break it it becomes less interesting um well like the the game itself the way it's the way it's intended to be played is really cool it's really cool i love triple triad try it's great yeah 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 okay well why do you think that this game is viewed as a dark horse choice for being the best final fantasy game in the series why do you guys think people kind of look at it that way well that's easy it came right after seven and the thing is seven was so influential and so many people love it so much you never want to come right after the most influential game ever i mean that's just a recipe for disaster um well even if yeah, that and all the highest form of commentary and review for this game was based in Linkin Park music videos. How dare you. So, like, it's just one of those things where it's just, it's it's had an issue <laughs> maintaining that relevancy after the fact that some of the other Final Fantasy games have not really had to deal with because most of their commentary was actually written instead of, you know, made into early YouTube videos and slideshows set to, you know, in the end. Um, and, and, <laughs> I, I think it, it is an elf being sandwiched between... <laughs> should, should have just... That was a strong start. Uh, like Morgan said, coming right after 7, there's all these expectations on his shoulder, and it kind of tries some weird stuff like changes a lot of the combat and technical systems and then it's sandwiched right between 9 which is another 3D Final Fantasy that at the same time is very much a return to form and Final Fantasy's classic fantasy roots. Yeah. Yeah, it's either yeah. the the most influential game ever or the one that gave that was sort of like a hey, remember what the way Final Fantasies used to be? So you like <laughs> you never want to be the middle child. Yeah, yeah, like I I I don't think that's fair. Like there's an awful lot this game misses on, but it it does a lot right too. Yeah, I love Final Fantasy VIII. Like it's great. We give it shit every now and then because it just it's it's an easy target. <laughs> yeah, it 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 is. It like it it makes some blunders here and there, but like you need to play this game. Like it it is it is something that you need to have experience to understand gaming as a whole i feel like like it is it is it is influential on the medium as a whole and a lot of people have kind of forgotten that because it does like it, it feels like it, it, it get it gets overlooked at this point completely unfairly honestly that's fair yeah uh, last question I have for you guys, and it's the same question I always ask every one of these podcasts. Would you recommend this game for others to play? 
I think Josh just uh, answered that. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Josh did. Yeah, and it's an, an easier uh, recommendation even now with the presence of that remaster. You can play this fucking thing pretty much anywhere at this point. It's on PC. It's on PlayStation. You can play it on your fucking Switch. Uh, like if if you're looking for a, a game to sink some time into, I'd say go pick up that remaster on your Switch. It's basically the same exact game except some quality of life stuff like that fast forwarding ability and they completely cleaned up the character models. Yep. Well, as Josh would say, they ruined the character models. Yeah, again, like I'm I'm the fucking weirdo who likes the original well, they ruined the joke. Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, no, the joke is is pretty it, funny. It's a damn now, shame that you're the best looking guy here joke just doesn't play in the remaster. Yeah. I I don't hate them as much as you do Josh, but I will agree that there is something just too perfectly smooth I, about I don't them, hate so. them they look jarring against the original backgrounds just up yeah because there was nothing they could really do to up a pixel art background and that's kind of where it stands out this, this is something honestly I've played like the PS2 and PS3 version of Final Fantasy 8 several times at this point where they'll like because they've got more processor speed, you can you can do an awful lot more with the effects going on in the game. And it looks fucking ridiculous. And they've kind of taken that to the extreme where it's not just the effects, it's the character models, it's it's everything up against these backgrounds that have never changed since the first version of the game. Yeah. And it just becomes more and more and more jarring as it goes. Um it, it, like as they fix one thing, the parts they can't touch become more and more obvious. Um, yeah. If you're looking for that FFA right. visual experience, uh, I think you guys should know the PC version of Horizon Zero Dawn can be turned down to 40p. At which point, it looks <laughs> like Final that. Fantasy. VIII. I saw that. That is hilarious that they allow you to set your resolution that low. Like. Oh my god, that is it that is the funniest thing in the world to me that they decided to allow you to play Horizon Zero Dawn at 40p settings. Um yeah, that's hilarious. It could run on a goddamn game and watch. And that has no yeah, pixels. I'll keep, this, I'll keep this pretty succinct so we can, you know, wrap up our thoughts. I know we've been here for a while. I uh yeah, I believe that that's I believe it is the most ambitious game probably ever created. Um, but that comes with, it definitely has some problems. I don't think the dialogue holds up well. I don't think the combat is particularly interesting for me now. Um, there's definitely some story issues, but, uh, I think at the time, I, I remember thinking this and just sort of looking into the, the size of the team that made it after made it, after making Final Fantasy seven, maybe the most ambitious JRPG ever made. I, I believe that in my heart. Sakoden um, two came out in the same month. <laughs> it it wanted to be everything. It wanted to be the most epic thing ever made, and they did it. But it feels like it's kind of held together by duct tape and duct tape and uh, strings in certain areas. But yeah. they did it. Um, so much so that they had to sort of revert back. Like they're like, okay, well, we hit the pinnacle, so let's go back with Final Fantasy Nine and do something that's more nostalgic. Because you know, how else are you going to top whatever that fucking lunacy was? Well, but again, um, like I. I love nine because again, it, it like it's not just going back and redoing the old stuff. It's it's modernizing the old, more fantasy rooted settings. 
Well, not just no, modernizing awesome, it. Like, but... it, like it's it's got an awful lot to say about these old tropes. Like, what the yeah, fuck does. does this idea as a concept? Like, this is a thing that we've done for an entire console generation at this point. For two console generations, what does this mean? There's um, a lot of quotes from Final Fantasy IX juxtaposed against images that make you go, what the fuck was this game? Yeah. I, I, I still have those but, screenshots from the promotions of, like, the picture of Vivi where it's like, how do you prove you exist? Yeah. But again, like like all of them, the combat does not hold up. It's extremely boring to play. I think the combat holds up just great. It holds up fine in Disc 2. Because for whatever reason, that game tied the actual speed of the combat to your speed stat. And mother fuck, was that a mistake? Because it yeah. is so goddamn slow at the beginning of the game. It, yeah, it can drag in that respect. But yeah. We're not here to talk about that. Yeah, but completely off yeah. the subject. But yes. We'll, we'll do that show eventually. Yeah, eventually. Okay. Well, I will wrap it up here and simply say that I recommend this game, despite a lot of the flaws we're talking about and a lot of the story issues and pacing issues and some of um, the mind-boggling choices that they integrated into the story. The game is still really fun, and especially if you play it remastered, you can speed up some of the slow combat. You can get through some of it to get to some of the more interesting parts of the story. There's a lot that we skimmed here um to try and make this as succinct as possible but there are a lot of really fun and interesting little story beats that happen in there uh fujin and raijin was someone uh, a pair that we barely barely talked about and they're fun and interesting uh bigs and wedge they're very minor pieces in the game but they're fun and interesting um the g the gf the whole way this gf system they works that's more mechanics and story like no one else yeah, bullseye wop exactly. my T sixteen back home. <laughs> yeah, there there are so many fun and little interesting things about the story. Like even the Shumi village is really fun and interesting. Mubas. And um, yeah, there there are different aspects about this game that are really enjoyable. So i I would say I would recommend it if you play the remastered version. If you're playing the original version, and if you are a classic gamer and you really love that style, you'll be fine. If you're not a classic gamer, I couldn't recommend the original to you at this point, just simply because of the fact that if you're a more modern gamer, you're not going to enjoy that original at all without being able to fast forward In, through some of the combat. Unless you're OCD, like like myself, because you'll you'll break it in the first five hours, and the rest of the game will literally fly by. One um, and one interesting thing, Shay, that you I think you might find interesting is when you read the lore of Hein, that god um there's two stories in the game you can read and they're different but they tell you the same story much like in real life when you have people mm-hmm. recounting religion it'll be like the same religion but like recounted differently and in both of them yeah um Hein got wanted to reduce the amount of people in the world this god so he got rid of the children and if you think about everything being based around this orphanage and the big plot twist an orphanage being abandoned children there might be something going on there. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just looking into it. It's an interesting game to talk about in many ways, more than I think it is sometimes. Yeah. Um, maybe we're looking yeah. too far into it. But yeah, there's some, there's some stuff. You, you know, maybe there's something here where there was going to be a sequel to this game. Because, you know, eventually they did come out with a sequel in 10 and 10-2. Because it seems like some of the stuff that they set up here could have been better explained in a sequel. But uh, obviously... Uh, there's a lot of stuff left here unexplained, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of interesting pieces here. Uh, just 
it's never it's never fully explored unfortunately and sometimes that's to the benefit of the game and sometimes that really hampers the comprehension of what you're experiencing but overall if you play the remaster i can't recommend the game enough it's still fun the music is sublime in the game mm. uh final fantasy Great is final always known for sublime did the soundtrack damn they did uh didn't, you didn't hear that uh good track uh santeria being played when you're walking around dalit back in galbadia don't got my crystal ball sorry that's all i get <laughs> exactly uh there are only two songs i know by uh sublime that and another one which i'm not going to name on the on the podcast but um anyways uh if you've been here this long i want to say thank you so much f- to you for listening to this uh it was really fun to actually get together and do this podcast because uh, we'd kept shifting it and moving it around and we finally got to do it. And it's a game that we all played a very long time ago. It's something that we haven't quite done on Chomping After Dark yet. So it was really fun to do that. So um, we're definitely, definitely during these slower months are probably going to start doing games that we've all played from our childhood or from our teenage years to try and fill up the gap there and i think it really makes for interesting conversations because obviously it's nostalgic and we're all able to reminisce together so um it's been it's been a really fun good episode uh i was really happy to do it so thank you to you the listeners and uh morgan josh and rich thank you guys for being here as well um next on the docket i would say because we just Believe it or not, this is a little bit behind the scenes look. We just crushed out three of these Chomping After Darks within the span of a week. So uh, right now, we're looking at doing Demon's Souls and Bug Snacks on the horizon. So be on the lookout for those. Uh, We don't know which one's coming next, but uh, you'll be surprised as we uh, will be when we schedule it. So um, again, thank you to you, the listener. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Morgan, for being here. Uh, and just one more quick reminder, if you loved this episode, please go subscribe to it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash sword chomp. Um, buy some merch, wear it around, tell your friends about sword chomp. It would mean the world to us. It helps us out a ton and just go check out the site. Just see what we got there. We have four different podcasts that we do. Rich writes some amazing reviews and some editorials along with Morgan and apparently now Josh and I are do it a little bit here and there as well. Um, At least once yeah, a year. Yeah, just check out the stuff. And uh, <laughs> also, one thing I forgot to mention, if you're interested in being a part of the community, we do have a Discord. Um, yeah, just come join it. Come talk with some amazing people. There are people in there every day talking about various, various different things. So um, That'll do it. That'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you guys for another amazing episode. And take care. God, that was a fun episode.